Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday the 20th of October 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, and brings us a message entitled, The Life and Times of Elijah, by the Brook Part 3. Could I invite you to open your Bible at 1 Kings chapter 17? We're just going to spend another Lord's Day by the brook with God's servant Elijah, reading the first seven verses of 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. After a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God for his precious word. I can remember as a young pastor starting out in my pastoral ministry almost 50 years ago, my first church in Ballyclare, calling to visit a man who wasn't too well, godly man, faithful man. And before leaving the home, I read to him a little verse from Psalm 37 where David exhorts us not to be fretful over evildoers. And it came to verse 23 of the psalm, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And I remember as if it were yesterday, Sam putting his hand on my arm and saying, Pastor, not only are the steps, but also the stops. Not only the steps, but the stops. And I think Elijah could have said amen to those sentiments expressed by my good brother. We have seen the principles that emerge from these opening verses in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, reminding our hearts of what Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things happened unto them for our learning. This is not just a matter of historical record, but these are incidents that give us inspired instruction and help us to understand Christian principles and practices that God would have us to know in the ordering of our lives. We have underlined the divine pattern. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him again. Elijah reminds us of the importance of obeying God's word. He would have sung that hymn had he known it, trust in the Lord and don't despair. He would have sang, 
And when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And sometimes when I meet unhappy believers, I ask them two questions. First of all, are you trusting? Are you trusting? And secondly, are you obeying? You see, there is joy in obeying the Lord. Happy, says Jesus in John chapter 13, at the conclusion of the washing of the feet. The example that he gave to those disciples who should have been taking the place of a servant and washing others' feet. But you can hear them talking in their mind and say, if Peter thinks I'm going to wash his feet, he's another thought coming. You can hear someone else saying, I'm longer following Jesus than he. He should be washing my feet and not me washing their feet. And the Lord of glory takes upon himself the garments of a servant and he washes their feet. I have given you an example. And then he says this in John 13. Blessed are you, not if you know these things, but if you do them. I have met many people in the course of life and they can engage in conversation for hours, splitting hairs where there are no hairs to split. When you talk to them about some of the practical applications of the Christian faith in terms of obedience, uh, the conversation soon comes to a swift conclusion. Here's a divine uh, pattern. And here's a divine precept. Elijah had appeared before King Ahab with a stinging message of judgment. He had delivered his soul with regard to the three and a half years of famine, which was to smite the land. And this was far as Elijah was told to go. This was the first step of obedience. And as soon as he had carried out the will of God in relation to this, he was given further instruction from God. And so we read in verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him again. We looked at that last uh, Lord's Day morning. God called him to a place of solitude, a place of quietness, a place where he would have that opportunity to quietly wait upon the Lord and to hear the voice of God and to receive the word of God. Cherith was God's divinely appointed place. It was God's school of learning uh, for uh, his servant Elijah. It was a place of solitude. It was a place of separation from men. Ahab was an apostate, one who had forsaken the truth and was following after the false and erroneous gods of Baal, ably assisted by his heathen wife Jezebel. And, and so uh, Elijah is called to withdraw, uh, to be identified not only with solitude before God but separation from those who did not honor God there was a divine pattern there was a divine precept this morning we will see there was a divine provision there was a divine provision he is called to go by the brook that is called Cherith having received a divine command Elijah was determined to obey God I would suggest this morning that his obedience was prompt. I pointed this out last Sunday and it bears repetition that we're not told he obeyed the will of God. He obeyed the mind of God. 
He obeyed the word of God. He obeyed the word of God. You see, there are those who mystify themselves and others by a lot of pious talk about obtaining God's mind and discovering God's will. And what that can amount to can be vague, uncertain, confusion. But you see, God's mind, God's will is made known in God's word. As I've said again and again, he, he never wills anything for us which is to the slightest degree clashing with his heavenly rule. Notice two things about this provision this morning. Notice that the provision was steady. The provision was steady. You see that in verse 6. God was spreading a table in the wilderness and was giving him all things that were necessary for life and for existence. Every morning and every evening the food came as God decreed. All that was needed for that precise moment. No fridge, no freezers, no stores. It was as if the Holy One was teaching his child how to walk by faith and to trust him for the moment and take no thought for the morrow. It was daily bread. Daily bread was provided because daily bread was promised. The psalmist in Psalm 145 verse 15 says, I will extol you. I will bless your name forever. Every day I will bless your name. Great is the Lord. And then he says this. He says, the eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them your food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Isn't that your experience? Strength for today. Mine all the way. And all that I need for tomorrow. And still we murmur. Still we grumble. Still we complain. And sometimes because of our murmuring, because of our grumbling, because of our complaining... We need to say, oh God, forgive me. You see the divine provision here. The provision was steady. And the provision was sufficient. And the provision was sufficient. God looked after Elijah in such a way that his physical needs were met. The prophet wasn't overfed or undernourished. God met his needs perfectly and adequately. Elijah proved that God was a covenant-keeping God. The only God who provides for that little sparrow. That little sparrow, worthless in the eyes of men, too, were sold for a farthing. And if he takes care of the needs of the sparrow, will he ignore the needs of his redeemed? The old saying is true, I learned it. As a little boy from my grandmother said, the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. David says this, I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed, his descendants begging for bread. He says, trust in the Lord, do good, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. 
It's a little chorus that you've often sung. And I think sometimes you might treat it no better than as a nursery rhyme. Trust in the Lord. Don't despair. He is a friend so true. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. You've got your troubles, and I've got mine. My troubles are different than your troubles. Your troubles are different than my troubles. You're under a false illusion. If you think that the man that's standing before you has no pressures, no problems, no difficulties, I live in the same world as you live in. I encounter that world. I encounter the flesh. I encounter the devil. Man that is born of a woman is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And every day we meet trouble. That's why we're to trust in the Lord and not despair. That's why we're to prove him to be a friend so true. And to realize that no matter what our troubles are, Jesus will see us through. Often behind the smiling face there can be an aching heart and a crushing need. Elijah teaches us this morning, and God teaches us through his servant today, regardless of what our need may be, he is able. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. The old hymn puts it like this, Fear him, you saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make but his service your delight. Your wants shall be his care. There's the divine pattern. There's the divine precept. There's the divine provision. But look at verse 7. There's the divine providence. There's the divine providence. These words and the brook dried up. And the brook dried up. As Elijah stared by the brook, the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the waters of the stream. But a time of testing arose, for we read the brook dried up. It too was affected by the lack of rain. And Elijah began to experience the results of his own prayer. He undoubtedly knew what would happen when he prayed as he did, but the time, the, the time would come when the waters would stop flowing and that time was uncertain to him as it was to others. Why would God test him like this after directing him to the brook in the first place? Why did God not keep the water running in a miraculous way? You remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company, John chapter 6, (coughs) And they came unto him, and he said unto Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this was said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. It wasn't a question that highlighted our Lord's ignorance. Our Lord knew all things. It was a question that was going to test Philip and the other disciples. And so it was the case here in 1 Kings 17. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was going to do with the prophet. And it was all ordered for his spiritual well-being. Here was Romans 8 and 28 in action. All things working together for good to them who love God, 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we can picture Elijah living in this great canyon, a beautiful place covered with many trees. And little by little, the water in the brook began to recede. And after a while, the birds left the area and the animals also, for they had no longer water to drink of. Would there be months when the Lord's servant wondered if God had forgotten him? You know, in times like these, I think the tempter is never far away for those who are seeking to do the will of God. And I believe the tempter would have tried to bring disquiet and disturbance to the prophet's soul. Uh, perhaps he tempted the prophet to forget about the will of God. He might also have suggested that he should go back home because he had sinned and uh, was reaping the consequences. Satan might even have encouraged him to drink and to think about formulating his own plans, <clears throat> about taking matter into his own hands. But you know, there's a little verse in Isaiah uh, 28 comes to mind. He that believes shall not make haste. He that believes shall not make haste. And I'm sure Elijah knew this truth and he obeyed it. When things were seemingly going wrong, he continues to wait upon God. And here's a question worth pondering this morning. Why did God allow the brook to dry up? Why? Well, there may be many reasons. Let me give you one or two. I think to teach Elijah and you and me not to trust in gifts. Not to trust in man. Not to trust in things in blessing but in him from whom all such gifts and blessings flow. To establish this important biblical truth and principle, to keep our eyes upon the Lord. That's how we begin the Christian life. That's how we commence looking to Jesus. That's how we continue looking to Jesus. That's how we complete the race, looking to Jesus. And someday, and maybe it's happened, the brook may dry up, paired off, made redundant, unexpected illness, a fellowship is broken off, a loved one is taken home to glory, there's heartache, there's disappointment, there's tears. The brook dries up. The brook of popularity dries up. It happened to John the Baptist. Some of his friends came to tell him that his disciples were beginning to follow Jesus. And John's response was that of a servant of God fully committed to doing the Master's will. John responded and said, He must increase and I must decrease. It happened to Paul in his experience with the church at Galatia. The people turned against him. Why? Because he stood for the truth. The people of God turned against the servant of God. That happened in Moses' day. That happened in David's day. And it happened to Paul. Paul says, For I bear you witness that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes. As Galatians 4. That's why some people think that Paul's thorn in the flesh was was a problem with his eyes. We can't be sure, but there's some who suggest that, and I can understand that. He said, I bear you witness 
that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, Paul was standing for the truth of the gospel. There were those at Galatia who wanted to impose circumcision upon Gentile believers. And Paul says, no, it's the gospel. And that's not the gospel you're adding to the gospel. And Paul withstood them. And they turned against him. The brook of popularity was drying up. And it must have been hard for Elijah to sit by the brook and to watch it disappear. But God was teaching him a very important lesson. Turn your eyes away from feeling Cherith to the unfeeling God. Stop looking at other believers. No matter how spiritual they may appear to be, get your eyes on man and get your eyes on the Lord. Goliath was a giant, but when David looked at God and saw how powerful he was, giant looked, Goliath looked very small. And so you see, when faith looks to God instead of the circumstances, the circumstances take on their proper uh, proportion in our eyes. They are very small in comparison to him who is the omnipotent God. Another reason? Well, his servants are in the divine school. And in the divine school, there is always need to learn. There's something more to learn. The most dangerous attitude of heart and soul of mind to ever get into is the attitude that you know it all. That you know it all. People like that are an absolute bore. And they're an absolute pain. Don't court that mentality that you know it all. Elijah was noted for his zeal, for his effectiveness in prayer. He asked God that rain be withheld from Israel, and God had answered that prayer. Since he was a man of like nature to the rest of us, it was so easy for pride to come in and to show itself. He could easily have become too gloated over his success in prayer, and the, new, the Lord knew just what he needed. Was it a little thorn in the flesh at this moment of time? The same as what happened to Paul, and we read off in 2 Corinthians 12. A thorn in the flesh that Paul prayed for on three occasions. What a man of prayer Paul was. What a man of perse- 